Well, can I be the first to wish you a happy new year? I know it's a little early, but uh, excited about where God is taking us in 2013. Uh, I don't know what last year was like for you. Uh, Some of you might be uh, limping into 2013. I get that. I've been there. Um, but isn't it awesome that we get to kind of turn the page? And uh, it is never too late to be who you might have been. Uh, it's one of our core values, and uh, I believe that uh, the grace of God is always available for us, isn't it? And because it's always available, sometimes we take it for granted, but so thankful uh, that the Lord orders our footsteps and uh, good works are prepared for us in advance. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. Do I need to say that twice? Uh, Well, next weekend we begin a series uh, called Dream, Uh, but this weekend I want you to turn over to Daniel uh, chapter 1 and verse number 8. I'm going to focus my thoughts on one verse and one word and believe that uh, the Lord can help us um, as we uh, turn the calendar and begin a new year. In 1972, a a Stanford psychologist named Walter Mischel uh, conducted a series of studies on uh, deferred gratification. Now, these became popularized outside of the academic community. You might have read this study in a book or two. I think I came across it in uh, Daniel Goldman's book, Emotional Intelligence. Uh, It's called the Marshmallow Test. The original study was done at Bing Nursery School with children ages four to six. A single marshmallow was offered to each child, but if the child could resist eating it, then they were promised two marshmallows instead of one. And the researchers analyzed how long the kids could resist the temptation of eating one marshmallow with the hope of getting two. Now, the funny thing is, is um, when the researchers left the room, some of the kids just immediately grabbed the marshmallow and ate it. Like, no resistance whatsoever. Um, but some of the kids employed kind of a variety of tactics to resist the temptation. Uh, some of them literally covered their eyes, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, some of the kids sang to themselves or played games. Uh, a few of them even tried to go to sleep, bless their hearts. Well, the objective of the experiment was to see if their ability to defer gratification in the face of this temptation correlated to long-term academic achievement. Well, the academic record of all 216 kids who were a part of this study were tracked all the way through high school graduation, and then uh, some of those longitudinal results were um, cross-referenced with their uh, delayed gratification times. Would you like to know what, what they found out? Okay, we're this far, so let's go all the way. Here we go. Uh, researchers, this is like a lesson in delayed gratification illustration. Um, researchers found a dramatic difference between the, the one marshmallow now and two marshmallows later kids. The kids who exhibited the ability to delay gratification longer were more academically accomplished. They scored, on average, 210 points higher on the SAT. 
the marshmallow test was twice as powerful an indicator of academic success as IQ. And it wasn't just the kind of academic differences. They found um, that the the uh, two marshmallows later kids were more socially competent as well. A marked difference in self-reliance and self-confidence. Uh, they took more initiative, handled pressure uh, more effectively. And, and then in a follow-up study, when these kids um, all hit right around 40 years of age, uh, the researchers found out that the two marshmallow later children had higher incomes, stronger marriages, and happier careers. Uh, what I'm trying to say is delay gratification. Um, and uh, Walter Mischel, uh, his conclusion was this. You got to love researcher language. Uh, he said, goal-directed self-imposed delay of gratification is one of the most powerful predictors of future success. Now, I don't think that that comes as any huge surprise. But, but I think that the implications here are pretty profound. Whether you go after a goal or you're trying to break a habit, you need some self-control. And I might insert at this point some supernatural self-control because I don't think it's just something that we naturally produce. In fact, uh, it, there might be a reason why it's the very last of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Because I think it's the toughest one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and... All right, you got it. It's this idea of delayed gratification. You've got to make some short-term sacrifices if you want to reach some of those long-term goals. Now, I think that that study might have a little bit to do with Daniel uh, chapter 1 and verse number 8. Let's read it. Here's what it says. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, the key word here is resolved. And I know the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the derivative resolution because it's New Year's. And New Year's resolution is one way that in our culture, we tend to resolve things. Um, and, and we'll talk about that. But let me give a little bit of historical context. Uh, Daniel is essentially a prisoner of war. Um, and he is recruited by the king of Babylon. And they are trained in, in everything from philosophy to who knows, maybe even martial arts. But they are training all these different things uh, in the king's court. And of course, they're fed the king's food. Now, that seems like a good deal, right? Except that uh, one way the Babylonians worshiped their pagan gods was by offering food and wine as sacrifices. And uh, eating the leftovers was kind of this symbol of gratitude to their gods. And so Somehow, some way, this pricked Daniel's conscience, and he was not willing to compromise his convictions. And that's what I love about Daniel. Um, you know, think about it. The king is feeding you from his table. Like, man, you don't want to slap the, the hand that's feeding you, right? But, but Daniel 
the question is this. Here's what I'm getting at. Who are you going to offend? Because if you fear people, you will offend God. But if you fear God, you will probably offend people. Daniel was more fearful of offending God than offending the king. And so he made a decision. No, he resolved. Uh, I think the NIV says he made up his mind. One other translation says he purposed in his heart. But it's this idea that, that man, this is a done deal. I like to call it a pre-decision. It's a decision you make before you have to make the decision. In other words, like I'm not going to do this or I'm definitely going to do that. You've heard me talk about this. Um, tithing is a great example. Laura and I, when we got married, we made a pre-decision that we would never not tithe. And then our goal has been to give a greater percentage of our income back to God. But that's that was a pre-decision. Like I don't make that decision every time we we get a paycheck or some form of income come. No, I mean, that's the decision we made 20 years ago. We resolved that a long time ago. Um, and it's those pre-decisions that, that I think often uh, are the key to not making some bad decisions along the way. And so Daniel resolves uh, not to eat the royal food, um, and ask permission not to defile himself. And, and I'm not going to get into the rest of the story. Um, he takes his own diet. It proves to be superior to the king's food. Uh, he's healthier. I don't know if his skin looked better. I don't know. But somehow it's working. Uh, in fact, then the chief official ends up putting everybody else's on, Dan, uh, on Daniel's diet. Now, I'm sure a few of his friends weren't so happy about that because they'd rather eat the king's food than have nice skin. But that's another sermon. All right. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Here's kind of the big idea uh, this weekend, and I hope it's an encouragement uh, to us. I absolutely believe that you're one decision away from a totally different life. Destiny is not a mystery. No, it's a decision. It's defining decisions. Now then you got to turn those defining decisions into daily decisions. And then like I talked about some pre-decisions along the way, but um, you're one decision away from a totally different life. Now it'll probably be one of the hardest decisions you make. But if you can make that decision, and my guess is you kind of know what it is already. But it's resolving uh, that decision that is so critical. Um, I couldn't help as I was preparing for this message. Uh, someone who's a part of our church who just um, inspires me. Uh, it, was, it was more than a year ago that I was working it uh, out at Results Gym. And, uh, and he walked in taking a tour of the gym, thinking about getting a membership. And I, I recognized him. I didn't know his name, but, you know, of course he, uh, knew me. And, and so we chatted for a little bit. And, and if my memory serves me correctly, I, I think I want to say that he said he hadn't been in a gym in 16 years. And, and he said he just hit a point where it was like, no, enough is enough. Um, I'm going to get back into shape. And uh, I bumped into him um, just before Christmas. And, and, and we see each other at the gym. And we would see each other more if I went more frequently. <laughs> but uh, he said he has not missed a workout. 
um, drop something like 40 pounds, like just in great shape, feeling great. And then that discipline has then helped him in some of the different parts of his life. And, and I couldn't help but think, well, that's one decision. It was one decision, but then that decision played itself out in a way that has had uh, ramifications, positive ones uh, in, in all of his life. You know, I, I think we only make a few defining decisions and then we spend the rest of our life uh, managing those decisions. Um, now, some of them are obvious, like, you know, maybe where to go to school or what career to choose or maybe choosing a spouse. Like, those are big ones. But some are more, more subtle. And I think uh, these show up in Scripture in interesting ways that help us, you know, a few thousand years later, get some perspective on our lives. Um, I, I mean, I think about uh, Joseph resisting the flirtatious overtures of Potiphar's wife. Resisting one temptation. Now, what would have happened if he had made the wrong decision in that instance? Well, number one, I don't think we'd know it because I don't think we'd be reading about him because I don't think he would have had the kind of impact that he had. Um, I think he probably would have just disappeared um, from the history books. But, but do you think he knew he was making history when he made that decision? I don't think he had any idea. In fact, for about 17 years while he was in prison, things went from bad to worse. And it seemed like, man, what was the point in doing the right thing? But you know what? When you do the right thing, it catches up with you. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. You do the right thing long enough. You know what? Don't worry about the outcome. That's God's job. You do the right thing. Bible puts it in agricultural terms. Uh, we plant and water, but God gives the increase. In other words, the end result is in his hands. But let's make sure that we're planting uh, the right seeds and then watering those seeds so that God can uh, give the increase. Oh, man, I think about... Um, uh, Esau trading his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, that's one that's a, a bad decision that was a defining decision, really changed the trajectory of his life. I'm like, like come on, your birthright? Just because right now the hunger pangs are too strong? Like, do not trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. I... He was a one marshmallow now kid, right? But, but Daniel is a two marshmallows later kid. And I think it's kind of fun, um, maybe even slightly creative to use the marshmallow illustration because it has to do with food. Like he's literally um, deferring some food gratification uh, for the purposes of doing the right thing. All right. Let's get down to business. Um, you are one resolution away from a totally different life. Now, I know that uh, studies suggest that, oh, this year about 87% of Americans will make a New Year's resolution, and 50% of those resolutions will be broken by the end of the month. So what's the point? Well... I, I think that one of the biggest reasons um, that we fail in our resolutions, one, is because 
we make them without praying about them. I think um, resolving something should come from our spiritual convictions and it shouldn't just be a to-do kind of thing. It ought to be a to-be kind of thing. Like, what, what? who am I becoming in Christ? What part of my character needs to be cultivated? How, what spiritual discipline can I practice in a way that will help me grow closer to God so that I know him better uh, by the end of this year? I think you have to put it uh, to prayer. I think the other reason why we often fail is that we try to make too many resolutions. Uh, here's a thought. If you make 99 resolutions, I think you have a 1% chance of success. But if you make one resolution, I think you might have a 99% chance of success. It's not about like, I think one change can make a 99% difference. Um, but you've got to prayerfully, um, and then strategically think through, um, God, what, what is it? I, I mean, I'm preaching to everybody this weekend. There's not one of us that doesn't need to make some kind of change in our lives that could have a more positive impact on us. And I think Daniel just set such a, a great example. But the key is maybe narrowing it down to one thing. I, I love what Paul says in Philippians 3.13, uh, this one thing, and one thing is kind of underlined in my Bible, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize uh, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think the key little phrase there is one thing. And so we're going to get painfully practical, and that's what I'm going to talk about. You might want to set one goal. Now, goals are dreams with deadlines. And if you don't have a deadline, your dream is probably dead. Deadlines are lifelines. And I have a love-hate relationship with deadlines. Um, I've had three book deadlines this year. And I will not be doing that again. That is one of my resolutions. Um, it was too much. Uh, but I'm literally one chapter away uh, from finishing up a book that will release next fall uh, titled All In and uh, trying to just one chapter left, trying to knock it out before December 31st. Here's what I know for sure. If my publisher had not given me timelines and deadlines by which I needed to produce a manuscript, are you kidding me? I would still be on the first sentence of the first chapter. You know why? Because I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the ability to do it. And so what I need to do is I need someone to help impose some deadlines on me so that I'm doing the right thing. Otherwise, important things um, end up losing out to urgent things. And urgent things just, I don't know, email is urgent. And, and I'm rarely at the end of my inbox. Now, 
I don't have time to talk a lot about setting goals, um, but I wrote about it a lot uh, in The Circle Maker, um, 10 Steps to Setting Life Goals, and it was intentional that number one and number 10 are prayer. Uh, that was not a mistake or an oversight. I think it begins and ends with prayer because here's my concern. If you set a goal that doesn't nurture spiritual growth or glorify God, then you would be better off not accomplishing it. It's not about just kind of going after things. And, well, then why are you talking about it? Well, because Hebrews 11, one says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That sounds a lot to me like goal setting. Oh, but I'm not a goal setter. You don't have to be. You don't have to go out and set 113 goals. What, what I'm positing this weekend is maybe setting one goal. Uh, let me give you an idea in case you don't have one. I mean, here would be a great goal going into 2013. What, what if um, you set a goal of reading through a one-year Bible? It would pay dividends in your life uh, at the end of the year in ways that you wouldn't even believe. That one goal of reading the Bible from cover to cover um, could be that one decision that could totally change your life. I, I think we have a the choice. You can let life happen or make it happen. Um, God's given us free will. I believe in praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on me. And you know what? Sometimes you just got to get up and go for it. And you've got to push yourself to go after a goal that you know is God-ordained. And so what is that one goal for you? All right. Maybe it's uh, not one goal. Maybe it's uh, one habit. Maybe you need to break a habit, but I'm going to suggest that uh, if you're going to break a habit, you probably need to build a habit because the key to breaking bad habits is building good habits. You can't just take something out of the mix. You've got to replace that routine in some way. Uh, you've heard me say this before. If you want to break the sin habit, you've got to establish a prayer habit. Um, those two things go together. Now, one thing that I'm going to recommend is that you consider doing a New Year's fast. Um, I think it's a way to cleanse your mind and cleanse your spirit. Um, it's a great way to, to get a fresh start or establish a new routine. And, and I think fasting shows God that we mean business. And that business as usual is out of business. Um, Fasting is one of the, the least practiced spiritual disciplines, but I don't think anything, it fast tracks um, the, the way that God works in our lives um, in unbelievable ways. And, uh, and I think it shows God that we're hungry for him. And you know what? If we're not hungry for God, it means we're full of ourselves. And so fasting might be a pretty good indication of where we're at spiritually. And I'm preaching to myself first. It's one reason why I always feel like at the beginning of the year, I need to set the tone. I need to set the standard. Um, now, we'll do a 40-day prayer challenge during Lent this year. And so don't pray until Ash Wednesday. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll kick it off with a uh, corporate experience, um, actually a virtual prayer meeting on uh, September, uh, February 13th. Um, and, uh, we'll have, uh, churches from across the country will actually be joining us via, via simulcast. And, uh, it'll begin 40 days of prayer. That's one reason why Laura and I, um, 
uh, the week before Christmas, uh, gave everybody a copy of Draw the Circle, the 40-day prayer challenge. Um, it, it's just a, it's a tool that you can use um, to establish a prayer habit during those 40 days. But here's what I'm going to do at the beginning of the year. I, I do a Daniel fast, and it's actually called a Daniel fast because it's inspired by uh, the example that Daniel set. Um, here are a couple of tips. First of all, you need to choose a time frame. Now, it could be uh, 10 days or 21 days. That's typically what I do. And a Daniel fast is not a complete fast from food. Um, it, it's generally uh, considered to be fruits and vegetables. Now, here's where it gets really tricky. Because I have so many people come to me and say, well, which ones? Are there any that like, and what technically, you know, is a fruit of that, you know, and, and, and then people start asking me questions like, and can you season it? And then like, and how can you cook it? Like, is it broil it? Can you deep fry it? Or is it raw? Like, and, and I'm like, like, relax. Okay. Relax. Um, because it's not, it's not about getting all worried about like doing the wrong thing. Let's not get legalistic about this. It's about us predetermining um, that we're going to give up a part of our diet and only eat um, things that we predetermine are edible for us. Now, I generally, I have done um, just fruits and vegetables. I've done just vegetables before, um, but... Uh, you have to make those own decisions yourself so that you don't get into it and, and then um, and then your mind starts playing games on you. And so the key is just establishing boundaries up front, sticking with them. There are a few um, cookbooks, Daniel Fast cookbooks that are available. The funny thing is, like some kind of disallow certain foods and others don't, and some cook them this way and others that way. Again, don't worry about it. The whole idea of fasting is to give something up so that you have more margin in your life to seek God and so that there's a greater focus or intensity in pursuing God. All right, you still with me? By the way, one last little thought. I've found that when you cultivate self-discipline in one part of your life, how many of you know it carries over to other parts of your life? If I'm in a good rhythm, kind of at the gym, working out, taking care of my body, which I really haven't been <clears throat> for the past two months, because I mentioned that book deadline to you, um, it has been eating me up. I cannot wait to get back into kind of the routine. I found that when I'm disciplined um, physically, that helps me be more disciplined spiritually and, and vice versa. All right, here we go. Um, uh, one goal, <clears throat> one habit. Maybe it's one promise. Maybe there's one promise of scripture that you want to circle this year and say, you know, I'm going to stand on this promise. Um, in 2012, uh, I circled a strange promise. Uh, Proverbs 19.11. It is the glory of a man uh, to overlook an offense. I remember it was such a curious thing. I was like, Lord, why? Uh, you would find it right in my prayer journal, um, circled. Uh, I just felt like coming into this year that I needed to stand on that promise. And uh, I, I wish I hadn't had to stand on it quite as much as I have. But you know what? The, the flip side to the success of the circle maker 
has been a, a few folks who evidently don't like the book as much as my mom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've had some people throw some stones at me. And listen, you do not need to feel sorry for me at all. I, I think it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. Um, keeps you grounded, and, uh, and, and it keeps you dependent on the Lord. It keeps you looking in the mirror and just examining your motives and making sure that you're in the right place. And the truth is it comes with the territory. Um, but here's what I've done. I've resolved not to take offense. Am I saying that you cannot offend me? I, I, I can't say that because, I mean, I don't know. There's a chance you could. But, but I have resolved that I'm going to be a difficult person to offend. Why? Because God has shown me so much grace. How can I not return that to another person? And, and you know what? Um, if I take offense, then I stop playing offense. Then I'm playing defense. And when I'm playing defense, I'm not sure I'm about the father's business. I think life is too short and the mission is too important to us get all bent out of shape as if we have to be our own advocate. We don't. We have an advocate with the Father. God is our judge and jury. Listen, don't, don't worry about. And so, um, I love the story of Nehemiah because, uh, Nehemiah had a few hecklers and, uh, a couple of Ammonites called Sanballat and Tobiah. They sound like bullies, don't they? Um, <laughs> Well, they mocked him, they criticized him, they annoyed him, they maligned his character. I love Nehemiah's response. He says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down and meet with you. (laughs) In other words, I don't have time for you. I'm busy with the vision that God has given me. Uh, He kept on doing what he was supposed to be doing. Um, Don't go down to the level of the people around you. If you've got people in your life who are gossiping about you, you brag about them. If you've got people who are tearing you down, you build them up. If you've got people in your office who are cutting corners, you go the extra mile. Don't go down to the level of the people around you. You live at the level of integrity that God has called you to. That's what Daniel does. I mean, how easy would it have been for him to compromise just a little bit, not to risk getting in trouble, but then he would have forfeited the opportunity uh, to prove himself to the chief official to find some favor and eventually become uh, number two in command in the Babylonian kingdom. Man, unbelievable. At the end of the day, here's the bottom line. Uh, we have a paraclete. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's in your corner and he's got your back. You do the right thing. You don't worry about anything else. One promise. Is there a promise you need to circle that you need to stand on? Finally, one word. And uh, we'll end with this. Read a great book this week titled uh, One Word That Will Change Your Life. Now, the authors actually argue against resolutions. And they say, instead of a New Year's resolution, why don't you choose one word that you want to define your year. Of course, what I love about that is I think that's actually one resolution. Uh, it's just choosing one word. Um, but but uh, it's an interesting concept. For Nehemiah, what, what would that word have been? It probably would have been the word build, right? I'm going to build this wall. 
This is what God's put in my heart. It's what I'm called to do. Boom, done. 52 days later, because he chose the word build, he finished it. I think for Daniel, it probably would have been the word purity. He said, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. Um, let me give you a little equation. I think that humility plus purity equals potential. I think if you stay humble and you stay pure, there's nothing that God cannot do in you or through you. All right, we're about done. You can look at this story and think, man, what a little thing. Like, not eating the king's food. But here's what I've learned. If you do little things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're little things. I mean, look at what happens. Man, God's hand of favor is on Daniel in incredible ways. God opens doors of opportunity. Um, he gets some divine promotions. And, and, and it's not because Daniel, Daniel was not worried about, man, what am, how can I maneuver and manipulate and somehow get myself in a place where I can be prime minister of Babylon? I don't think it even crossed his mind. All he was worried about was doing the right thing. Not going to dishonor God. Um, I, I love that. And I think it sets an example for us. I, I think we tried to put this into practice this past year as a church uh, with our 40-day prayer challenge. Um, we kind of preface it saying, let's just circle this promise in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and all hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And we said, let's just circle it. Do you remember what happened? Um, some incredible things. During the, those 40 days, um, Glen Echo Baptist Church gave their church building to us without us asking for it. I mean, unbelievable. Um, someone wrote a million dollar check without us asking for it. I don't know. That seems like the favor of God. And then I love the way that God kind of capped it off as uh, the Today Show, their crew came out and interviewed us and filmed one of our Sunday morning services. On the very last day of our 40-day prayer challenge, man, they aired this three-minute segment that was so God-glorifying. I mean, it just started out, many of you are in it, with us just kind of praising God, and then, and then it ends with us throwing down some more worship. And, and I, I just thought, you know what? You can't. You can't buy or maneuver or like, you can't do that. I think one of the biggest lessons that the Lord taught me this year, and I promise you, we're about done. I think I've said that three times, but I mean it. <laughs> this is my last conclusion of 2012. I'm going to get my money's worth. <laughs> now I forgot my point. <laughs> so, all right, I remember it. Joshua 3 says, uh, 3, 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I mean, is there not a person here that, oh man, I want God to do amazing things in 2013. Don't you want that? But that's not your job. You don't have to do amazing things. You can't do amazing things. Your job is to consecrate yourselves. You know what? It's to surrender ourselves to the lordship 
of Jesus Christ in every area of our life. And guess what? If we do God, if we do our job, God will do his job. If we consecrate ourselves, the Lord will do amazing things among us. I don't know if you get tired of hearing this, but uh, I'm not tired of saying it yet. You don't need to seek opportunity. Seek God. An opportunity will seek you. If you resolve in your heart to do the right thing, God will find a way to honor it. And I think on that promise, uh, we can stand in 2013. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you go before us. You prepare a way. You have plans and purposes beyond what we can imagine. And in that, we take confidence. We take rest. God, on that, uh, we take our stand and believe, God, that you're able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. God, we're excited to see what you're going to do, not for us, but for you, for your glory. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.